Hello and welcome to the 40 Athletes Podcast. Before we get started, be sure to sign up for our free five-day demo course that teaches kids ages 7 to 11 how to develop courage. This The link is in the description below and it will give you tips and strategies to help you and your child have a better sports experience as well as teach your child courage at a younger age. Now, let's get started with episode 72 of the 4D Athletes Podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 72 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Holzer, along with my good friend, Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, happy Wednesday to you. Well, likewise, you as well. Well, you know, every episode we try to have on the best guests that have been in sports, out of sports, but that teach things that, you know, you can't learn on the field. It's the, the intangible piece of it, right? And today, our guest, Mike Murphy, scouted all those intangibles to find the best players for certain NFL teams. And so, you know, a lot of times people think scouts are people that look for like physical abilities, can you know, how will I catch, throw, that kind of thing. But I had lunch with Mike last week and he talked about the things that were between their ears and what, what he looked for more so than the physical ability. And he gave a great example of Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. Yeah, that's one thing I always, you know, it's funny because you just talk about that in a lot of camps that I do, the classroom settings. That's one thing I'll talk about a lot is, is also the Peyton Manning, the Ryan Leaf and the character part of it. And, you know, it's the perfect time, too, with the NFL draft coming up. With everybody talking about, like, who's going to draft who and what they're going to do, um, you know, realizing there's a lot that goes in to identifying the player they're going to take. And now after going through Mike's stuff, I realize why maybe I wasn't selected back in the day the <laughs> NFL draft. Now I know. <laughs> well. I so definitely knew my awareness raising hey, up in me right here. Nobody was looking for a 5'11, 150 guy out in the draft. So I, I was out, you know, before I even got started. So uh, that's definitely for sure. The, the physical element took me out before even the, the mental stuff even got close. So, but it is, is as we get in and Mike bringing them, bringing them on, it is interesting to find out that it's not just the physical aspect of it. And for parents and for athletes to understand, there's so much more that what, you know, see the NFL or colleges or people identify in potential recruits that get an opportunity to play for them. It's much more than just the physical side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and bring Mike on and get and dive in this conversation because I'm excited to hear more about his insights on, you know, what to look for when when scouts are looking to to bring on people in the organization. So, Mike, uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us today. Good. Good morning. Um. You know, we're excited to have you on today. And, you know, I know he's Jimmy's, I don't know if you knew this, but he's actually like right down the street from me. So technically, we have our my neighbor on the show today. So you could have been in studio together. You <laughs> too. We definitely could have for sure. Um, might have to do this might, podcast you know, next time from uh, the River Park pub. There we go. <laughs> I call it a pub cast, right? There you go. Could be there a, go. a new thing. There you go. Podcast at a pub. Oh, um, well, you know, You've been in scouting for over 23 years. You know, you were with the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Giants, even did some college at Colorado, some player development. And my first question to you is, like, how did you, like, get into that? I know you went to college and you became a PE teacher, which is what I've been doing. So how did you get into scouting in in the first place? You know, that's an interesting story in and of itself. Yeah, I went to – well – First off, my father was a, a head coach and general manager up in the Canadian Football League. Uh, was with Winnipeg Blue Bombers, where he finished up his career coaching wise. Um, Hall of Fame coach up there, and then he was done coaching, 
And Bill Polian actually asked him to do the recruiting form or scouting form up in the Canadian League. So he did the scouting for the Indianapolis Colts um, during the heydays with Peyton Manning and that sort of thing. So I followed his footsteps uh, into coaching. Um, was a grad assistant at Iowa State. Before that, I finished up at William Jewell with um, my phys ed degree. And then I went to grad school at Iowa State and then uh, started my coaching career. Um, ended up coaching back up in the Canadian Football League before a friend of mine called and asked if I was interested in scouting back in 96. It was a long time ago. Um, so came down, started scouting for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs in 96 to 2000. And then uh, just kind of give me a little history. And then a friend of mine asked me to go to Seattle with him in 2000. So I went out there. He's now the general manager, John Schneider. Um, then another friend of mine who I worked with, with the Chiefs, he uh, was running the personnel department with the Cowboys and asked me to come work with him down there. And we all went to Miami after that. And when we went to Miami, we found out that actually Jeff Ireland, who's a, who was a general manager with the Dolphins, ended up being my wife's cousin. Oh, wow. So kind of roundabout way. Yeah. Uh, it was funny because I'd known him since 97 and probably in 2000 and what, 10, I guess it was, we found out that uh, my wife's related to him. So. <laughs> And then uh, from there, a friend of mine asked me to go to the University of Colorado and put the recruiting department together, which was different. Got to put it together like a, like a draft room for the NFL. Uh, things have kind of changed a lot in the college side. And after I did that for a couple of years, a friend of mine asked me to work for him through the West Coast for the New York Giants. I did that for another three years and enough travel. That's kind of my background. Hey, Mike, I'd like to dive into something you just brought up and, and you talked about working. You worked some really good people, but somebody always intrigues me is Bill Polian. And I look at what he did, like with the yep. Buffalo Bills and he goes to the Carolina Panthers, goes to Indianapolis Colts, and he takes these organizations that were struggling and he turns them into championship type organizations. What are the things that he did, like maybe developing culture and things that people can learn from from him, identify him, like these people to bring in the organization that were champions to help that organization succeed at those levels? Yeah, a lot of it is the the background work that they do and teams do um, before the draft ever happens. You really want to find out everything about somebody on and off the field. Everybody talks about, oh, he's great. Why didn't this guy get drafted? Because you go back to Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning, the argument there, Ryan Leaf had the stronger arm, the bigger body and all that sort of stuff. But you're looking at the intangibles. Um, so he, he actually had a, a psychologist. A lot of teams did. We had it in Kansas City as well about a psychologist. They were looking at, they had questions about certain people in certain positions. They would have her come in instead of the combine where scouts are asking the same questions over and over again to kids and they get programmed. They get worked up with their agents on, on how to answer these type of questions so they dig into a little bit different and it is a culture um you have to know how you want to be your football team um i sent you guys some information that i used um at university of tennessee did a kind of a, a scouting tutorial for them we had some young coaches over there he's trying to help out but it's kind of how you build your football team you got to have an idea of what you want to do whether you want to build it for size or like indianapolis you want to build it for speed with the Tampa two defense and so you're building it from the, the inside out because of the speed closest to the ball, or you do it like Bill Parcells and you build it with size inside and speed outside. So you just kind of, it's kind of going back and knowing what you want to build your team as. 
that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and as you are, you know, you're you're out there scouting and you know what they want from a physical standpoint, but from an intangible standpoint, what are the top three things you're looking for to see it make sure and I know everybody's culture is a little bit different, but is there some uh things that kind of have, have came true across the board that most organizations look for from an intangible standpoint? Um, yeah, we had uh, a thing that was done with Bill Parcells and Jeff Ireland in both Dallas and Miami. And Parcells brought this from when he was with the Giants. And it was called your makeup. And it was just seven principles that uh, you tried to follow when you're looking at. And for example, football intelligence was one of them. Uh, personal character, work ethic, competitiveness, passion or love game, your personal football integrity. Um, and the last one would be your physical mental toughness. So you're trying to go through all these different scenarios when you're talking to people at campus. And this is just for college students that are coming out in the draft as a, as a pro scout. So you're trying to get all the information you can for them off the field. And so that includes talking to your all your coaches as many as you can, your head coach, your athletic trainer, your weight coach. Uh, sometimes you get into the equipment guys because they know those guys more than anybody else. And then you also get into the academic side of it what the, those individuals are like, whether they can learn, how they learn, just all the different intangibles you can get. As much information as you can get on the kids is, is the best thing you can. Matt, that's something, you know, Mike, I'll talk to a lot of parents and even athletes and let them know, like, you know, kind of that character part of it. It's, it's that idea. It's like, you know, what are you going to do when somebody of authority is not around, right? Are you going to make the right decisions, right? Are you going to make the, maybe the cool decisions, sure. whatever, but understand everything you do matters. And when people are coming like the NFL or colleges or whatever, they're going to talk to everybody, anybody they can visit with, they're going to talk to about who you are as a person as they're making a decision, whether they're going to invest in you. Can you kind of reiterate that and kind of the importance for maybe kids and, parents understand like their decisions and choices truly matter in opportunities that they might get or not get. Yeah. Bill Parcells used to tell us, don't bring me somebody with issues off the field because I have enough problems as it is for them to learn, learn the playbook and what's going on on the field. I don't have to worry about them off the field. So that was the big thing. So when you're doing the character, what kind of issues does he have? Has he ever been arrested? Has he ever, you smoked dope? you know, DUIs, abuse, whatever. There's certain things you look at and it's kind of, there's the red flags. Um, it's kind of bad to say, but if you get busted for drinking, hey, you know, there's sometimes what's the difference between him and my and and, and him and myself. Um, but if there's a repeating, a repeating theory or repeating thing with this person, this individual, then there's a big red flag. So, if you're taking pictures on Snapchat, if you're taking Twitter, whatever it may be, the NFL actually does have companies that they hire and they will scrub down your, your websites that you're on and they'll have information on it. So what you put out there, we used to look at it and the University of Florida was notorious for it. You go through there and they'd have guys that you have some pictures out there with whatever it may be, money, guns, whatever. And you just kind of, what is going on with this? So it's a red flag. So you have to make a good choice. As an individual, it might not be the cool choice, um, but they're going to dig on you for the NFL. They're going to dig as much as they can on you. Um, colleges, they'll dig, but not as much. But your history does have a tendency of following you if you're not looking out for it. And that's almost like, Mike, like you're talking about, like your social media telling kids it's your resume. 
I mean, and some of these kids think yes. like, oh, Snapchat, I can put something out there and it vanishes, whatever, but people can take screenshots and they can save that and forward it. I mean, it's 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 the resume, right? That you're identifying and you're looking as what this person yes. is, who they truly are. Is that is that yeah, something probably, that, that reinforcing that though, that like indicating that this is who you are and this is how you identify yourself with this social media part? Yeah, we would have actually a folder on, okay, we'd have the interviews at the combine. We bring the the players in and they would be in the position coach would be there, the head coach, the general manager, et cetera. And you would have the background check on all these kids that were coming through, whether they've been arrested, et cetera. But then also there was a sheet on there, whatever they had posted that was a red flag for their social media. And we'd ask them to explain it and see if they could explain it to us. Why would this be on here? This is something that we have to worry about. So it's a lot of that stuff that goes out there. It's not, you know, like you said, it's not something that just disappears. Those companies, once it's on there and the web, it's it's out there. You find it. You know, uh, Mike, what are some of the questions that you would ask, you know, players that you'd be scouting to get to know them to kind of like, uh, maybe it's not what they say, but how they say, it. you know, what are some things that you would, you would ask them to kind of get a good feel of if this is a, kind of guy that we want to learn more about or if this guy isn't a fit you know do you have some of those like you know main questions you would always go to to ask you know multiple players that you kind of give you a good feel for them it, it wouldn't be it's really for me was just trying to get the kids to talk get them to feel comfortable so it wasn't just one question it's really kind of getting them to open up and feel comfortable around you and then if there's something that you you try to do your homework beforehand with the individual you're talking to. So it's not just, okay, um, what did you ever get arrested? And you don't have any information on it. Usually we tell the guys, if they're asking a question, they already know the answer to it. They want to see how you answer your questions or if you're going to own up to it. And we've had guys that you, you know that they've been arrested or they've been busted for whatever, they've been suspended for something. When you ask them about it and they've flat out lied to you, that's a big red flag. So it's more or less trying to own up to it and trying to get an idea of who this kid is and get them to open up to you and get them to feel comfortable. So it's not one set question. Some teams do that, and it's like they have a list of questions they have to ask. But those kids are already – the agents have already gotten to them and talked to them and worked through how to answer the questions. So my thing was just to get them to talk. Yeah, and I, lo I love the makeup when you talk about the things you look for. And something I'll reinforce the kids a lot is, you know, you can control two things, your attitude, your effort, right? And you have work ethic on there. Yeah. And can you speak the importance yeah. of like, for these people to understand your work ethic is so important in how people evaluate you? Yeah, the work ethic we talk about when I was in the NFL, even in college, it was how do you, how did this kid, how does the individual prepare for a game? Is he dedicated to it? Does he have the discipline to do everything, all the small things? It was always talk about, does he do the little things or does she do the little things? Um, if they're going to pass over and just do the big things, then those little things start to build up and then you become, it becomes an issue. So it's like, do, do you enjoy the process of working out, studying film, practicing, doing the extras on and off the field, you know, the weight room conditioning, practice meetings, extra study on your own. So that, that's very, very important when you talk about work ethic, you know, the good ones, they get on the field athletically, they can do whatever they want, but do they put in the extra time to be great? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and that's where you see even like I, I saw something recently. A video was sent about Peyton Manning, and he was doing a kind of a little workshop, and he was showing video, and he was breaking down video, and he was showing like himself, like all the little things matter. He's talking about like his pump fake, and he was talking about like not two hands on the ball, one hand, and how he fakes it, and the little things, and how he'd wrap it out. And then he talked about like being in meeting rooms when you're having like watching film or you're having meetings. You got to have a notebook with you. If you don't have a notebook, you're not taking notes. You're not writing things down. You're wasting time. And he would talk about all the little things. The preparation matters. And you being like around that and seeing like a Bill Pullian getting somebody like a Peyton Manning. Do you see that in the great ones that they do those little things like a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning and those things separate them from others? Yeah. Um, now, there's a story I heard. So it's secondhand, but. Reggie Wayne, for example, coming from University of Miami, great player. Um, when he first got that, don't know, like I said, this is secondhand. So if, if it's wrong, I apologize. But what I was told was, you know, he wasn't getting the ball. So he was asking Peyton why he wasn't getting the ball. And Peyton told him, when you come out and you do the extra before practice, after practice, before games, then you'll get the ball. So kind of one of those things you have to do all these extra little things day in and day out. You know, just so that repetition, you know, when he's coming out of his break. And I used to throw workouts, believe it or not, for uh, pro days. And I also did through at the combine. But you wouldn't know when guys were coming out of their breaks. So you're always pumping it, you know, like you're going to throw it. And it got hard on the arm. You never knew. You're always late on the delivery when it should be, you know, you're not, so he's going to run it 10 yards. He's going to run it 12 yards and come out of his break. So you're never sure, at least with this way, with Peyton, Brady, et cetera, the good ones great ones it's just constant every day every day doing the same thing so it just becomes rote memory and you get into that you know you know Peyton said you know you'll you'll get the ball whenever you start you know putting the extra work to me that sounds like leadership right you know telling people what they need to hear not tell you what they want to hear like did you see that a lot you know with Bill Polian and and some of Bill Parcells like their leadership like they they wanted leaders as many leaders as possible because Jim and I talked yesterday about how every coach wants more leaders on their team. And so is that also part of the scouting process? Like how many, how many leaders can you get, you know, together as, as part of building up a great team and having the, that, those leadership qualities? Yeah. You're usually when you ask, has he ever been a captain? Is he a leader? It doesn't have to be the yeller, the screamer, you know, the Eli Manning in New York. Everybody said, oh, he's not this or he's not that. He was a leader because of what he did on the field. He was a quiet one, where his brother was a lot more vocal, and so was Tom Brady. You know, um, oh, drawing a blank, played in Dallas. He's now the uh, does stuff Romo. on TV. Uh, Tony Romo. Thank you. Drawing a blank. Yeah, so he wasn't, he wasn't yelling or screaming either. But, you know, the leadership, there's different ways of leading, but you're also you're looking for those leaders on the field. The more leaders you can get on your football team, the better football character they have because they know how to put in the time, the the things that have to happen. They're not going to try and skirt the, around the little things that need to be done. You, you Going back into that, though, when Jay talked about leaders, what could you tell maybe coaches and parents and that are raising children that are, um, you know, mentoring athletes? What are things you've seen and you'd recommend to do to help maybe build leadership qualities in individuals? I've got twin 13 year old daughters and I got the opportunity to coach them in basketball. 
not sure how much they liked it, but I got to coach them. <laughs> the one thing I always told them, I said, I don't care if you have a bad day. All I want to know is make sure that you are doing your best. I've been there before playing high school basketball and just having a god-awful day. But, you know, as long as you try and keep trying, then things start to happen for you. Um, so it doesn't have to be the yell of the screamer. I want you to show the others. That's why I kept telling my girls, show the others what needs to be done. So that's the way they became leaders. You don't have to yell and scream at them. You don't have to do this. They're going to lead by example. So that's what I, I tried to instill in them. And, you know, with other parents, you'd hope that that would be the same thing. Lead by example. You don't have to be the yell or the screamer. Just do what you're supposed to do every time you're supposed to do it. That's that's the only you get into, too, Mike. One of the things that you mentioned the makeup is a passion, a love for the game. And I see it a lot with youth athletics. And I see kids that get burned out and they don't really enjoy, like, even playing. They feel like they're kind of forced to play because maybe parents and people are making them play and things like that. And you see individuals that are probably professional and high level college that they don't really love what they're doing per se. Is there a way that we can maybe develop more of a passion, a love for the game and, and embody that into the athletes and the kids to help them to have more passion for it? The thing that was probably going to people that, don't agree with me, but I think some of the stuff that really has ruined it is the all year round sports. And so it's like, you know, there's coaches that are making the kids, you have to play this. You can't play anything else. Their coaches in high school are making, you can only play one sport. And I always remember the conversation. They had a little piece on baseball tonight and they talked about how much the parents were traveling, spending on all this stuff to try and get their kids to get a scholarship or go to the pros. There's only 1% of the population that ever makes it to the pros. So that play the sport. So not everybody's going to go there. Not everybody's going to get a scholarship. And when they asked the question at the end of it, there's, I can't remember who it was, but he's a hall of famer. And they asked him, what do you think about this? And he goes, I know this much, the good ones, they played them all. So they played all the sports. My daughter, they've asked her to go in the gymnastics, but it was going to be having to do that all year round. They wanted to play soccer all year round. They want to play basketball all year round. So if you're going to do that or swim all year round, you can do that. You can't play these. She's too young. You get burned out. I used to swim competitively and was pretty damn good at it and Pan Am games, but I just got burned out. It just was no longer fun. And, I, and I'm sure for you, like I, I'll tell people, I'll know your thoughts on this is like you said, youth sports, like play different sports. You don't have to play them year round. You can play them seasonal, right? And you can work on your skill sets outside the season and balance it out. And then when you get to high school, you get to maybe you're a sophomore in high school, junior. If you decide you want to play two sports, or you decide you want to focus eventually on one. As you get older, not to say I still think in high school it's great to play different sports, but if you do it at that point, then maybe you can make a, more of a conscious decision what makes sense, and you know maybe what you're really good at and you have passion for, and you can focus more on that at that time. Is that maybe a suggestion, too, that you would kind of give to people? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's at this age, they don't know, you know, my daughter, I don't know how big she's going to get. She's not going to be a giant by any means. And so now it's going to looking at it for scholarship wise, you're going, there's certain sports that she's not going to be able to probably excel at just because the lack of physical size. So now you're going to start thinking, okay, what can she play? What, you know, if she wants to go on to it, I played in high school, maybe, 
but you know you're you're right you play as many as you can enjoy it you know they get burned out right after you know, the swimming for example it's every day all day you know they they go out to the pool and they swim they go in right now they're going an hour a day five days a week and then they got to do something else now it's okay you want to swim year round now you got to travel you got to get up in the morning i used to go five days a week um 5 30 in the morning till seven then i come back 4 30 to six and then three hours on saturday and i wasn't even a teenager yet and so you're just doing this day in and day out and you just get burned out and this is one sport yeah. but at least i was you know up in, i was going up those grew up in canada so i got to play other sports basketball and football and soccer so and it was what, easier what is it though if, down here say somebody gets to high school you got the kids in our high school and they're focusing on a sport and they're they're really that's kind of a concentration and they want to play at the college level. I want to go past high school and you, you know, being at Colorado and developing kind of a recruiting system and identifying kids. What could you tell parents and maybe athletes things they should be looking to do to get themselves where there may be a valuable athlete that people can identify that maybe get an opportunity to play in college? First off, you got to be realistic about, you know, parents, all, everybody's got the, not everybody, I shouldn't say that generally. Um, a lot of parents and, and athletes, they all want to go division one, but not everybody can play division one sports. So when you start looking at it, you have to be honest with yourself and go, what level can I actually get to? And so you got to look at that part of it. Then you're going back off the field. Um, if you want to go division one, you're athletic enough to go to division one, you got to look at your a academics because it's not everybody. Look, a lot of people look at it and go, My academics, I've got a 3.0 GPA. Well, your core is what you look at, and the core has to be a certain GPA. So looking at that first, because we'll follow that. When I was in college, you followed that from their sophomore year on. And so you got to the, you would uh, call them up and talk to the, the uh, uh, academic advisors there and the, the counselors going to say what is their gpa this needs to get up to get into the school the kids interested in coming here they need to do x y and z so you try and set up that information for the student to be able to get into a certain school so it starts with the academic side of it first then from there you want to get into get noticed i would start getting into your um i'm not youtube but even put stuff on huddle um huddle is a, a high school it started out um, the head coach at the university of nebraska he started a program up called huddle and high schools use it some colleges use it and you can watch game film on it you can watch practice on it so you can put little clips on there and put a little program together of two to three minutes of your highlights and to kind of give it that way your coaches can get in there and take a peek at it coaches like me and probably some others have add so if it gets too long get tuned out yeah you know mike you mentioned you know Hope that you, answered your question yeah, the one thing, Jason, before we get in that, can yeah. you also, Mike, some people might uh, be thinking, like, what do you mean by core? Like core, because some people, like you, like you said, when, he, when they get a GPA, like, I had that when I was in college. I'd be like, hey, what's your GPA? They'd be like, oh, that's a 3L. And then the core would be like a 1.9 yeah. or something. Can you explain to that with people? Yeah, like, what does he mean by that? It's the four core, your math, your science, English, and uh, social studies. So. That's the ones you want. That's the your core group of academics. You don't need to go in there. As my father said, what are you taking in college? You know, fire prevention underwater, tiddlywinks, that sort of stuff. So you have to get your core group up there, and that's what you're looking for. 
Well, Mike, you know, uh, I found it interesting. You know, you have you have twin 13-year-old daughters, which is the exact opposite of what you coach professionally, scouted for, you know, young men, that kind of thing. How is it different? How did you maybe have to adjust your style to coach your daughters, per se, as opposed to, you know, scouting uh, scouting college guys, scouting you know, and working with pros on the male side? And what things transferred over that you used to help you – you know, coach those girls because it's it's a totally different mentality, obviously. So I wanted to know like what you maybe kept and what you did away with. You know, especially for youth coaches out there that are maybe coaching their daughters or they're coaching the opposite gender of what they're used to coaching. You know, what did you find that worked well, and probably what you you would tweak and change? What's funny is coaching the girls compared to like. I had my daughters are twins, and we've got a, another girl that was on our team who was a twin, but her brother was the twin. And maybe it was bad coaching on my point, but just trying to get the girls to understand, you know, how to do certain things. And you had to really go back basic to do things. Um, whereas the the twin brother, they had six plays on offense, and I was trying to get the girls to learn one. They don't seem to grow up and watch that. So you're trying to figure that how to get them to understand. And I ended up just scrapping the offense. I'm probably a bad coach, but I ended up scrapping the offense, just getting into an inbounds pass, breaking the, breaking the press and defense. My dad was always offense. Good defense turns into offense. So I worked on defense and just made them, Hey, run the court, run the court. So adjusting to what the kids are trying to do and what they can do and not put a square peg in a round hole. Don't force something. You get, a lot of coaches, their systems coaches, they can't adjust. So they just try to put a system together, but not get the kids in the right position to be successful. You have to look at the kid and go, hey, they can only do X, Y, and Z. They can't do the other part of it. So let's put this in here and run this. I was at, going back. Another story was I was put, helping put a recruit or helping put a football program together at an NAI school. They hadn't had football there in 40 years. And our head coach wanted to throw the ball. And we we had a, we didn't have anybody who could hit the broad side of a barn. So I didn't had to change what we're doing. So we went from a passing offense and I had I was well versed in the option. So we went straight to the option to start with before we finally recruited a kid that could throw the football. Yeah, and I and I like that what you're talking about, Mike. I believe like even in the youth side of sports is like, can we teach people how to play instead of teaching them a bunch yeah. of plays? that maybe they aren't even going to use as they get older and they play for somebody and they become more robotic. And as you said, play, play to the strengths of individuals. But if you teach them more to become better at something, now they can succeed as they get older. And I think, as you mentioned too, as coaches, we get so in a box, this way I've always done it. This way I've always been taught, but it not, might not be the best way with the personnel you have. Right. And sometimes you got to evaluate that Correct. and make adjustments to give your team a chance to succeed. Yeah, you talked about going to, you had a bunch of plays. If you teach good technique to start with, they'll win nine times out of 10. So, I mean, I've had a friend of mine that was teaching middle school football. They had not won a game in three years. He took over and they went 10 and one his first year. They ran the belly, which is a type of option. But it was simple. You step with this foot, you step with that foot, you step with this, here's your aiming point. And it was just time and time and time again. They weren't the biggest, they weren't the fastest, but they got the angles, they knew where to go, they knew everything 
So it was that point of teaching it. It wasn't just a bunch of plays. It was technique, technique, technique. And if you can start teaching the technique, that's what I did with the girls. It's just good defense, how to play defense, how to get in front of people and all that sort of stuff and anticipating. And that, uh, that then the offense started coming. Well, as you said too, Mike, you start creating like in, getting the basketball tournament because I'm, I'm a defensive guy. I love, I love defense. I think defense travels and you can rebound in defense. You can be really successful. You might not shoot extremely well. You can turn over a little bit, but if you have that every game going for you, you give yourself a chance. And as you mentioned, you create offense off your defense, get out, create numbers, right attack, um, create advantages for yep. yourself. But something I'd like to, you talk about the makeup. And you talk about this, the things that are part of the makeup and you mentioned in it coachable. And I think not only coaches, we need to be coachable, look within and find better ways, but always talking to athletes about you got to be coachable. You got to be become better, more coachable, right? What is yeah. it to be coachable? How do you recommend athletes to do certain things that they become this coachable athlete? You know, for them listening listening to your coach and believing what they're talking to you and telling you. And a lot of times when you start teaching some, somebody something new that they haven't done, they get frustrated. And so you as a coach, you got to understand and try and get that to them that understand, Hey, this is going to be a process you're going to have to go through. But once you get that process, now it becomes easy. It's kind of a repetition thing. So for the kids, they got to understand and try and get it through to them. This is the best way to do it, but it's going to take some time. So don't get frustrated. We're going to work through this and try and talk them through it. I, I had a girl that was on a, our basketball team, and it was always right hand, left hand. Whatever you do right hand, you got to do left hand. You got to be ambidextrous, or as my father would say, amphibious. But she would not do left hand because she was not good at it. She get frustrated. She had to end up quitting, but it was just – you can't you can't get frustrated. You gotta get work on. I always tell my girls, work on what you're not good at. Make that you're good at right-handed, but you're not good at left. Work on what you're not good at. When like you mentioned Mike oh, too, yeah. it's uh question. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, and part of being coachable too is having coaches that will meet you where you're at and, and give you a process to follow, you know, building that trust as well. So how important it is, and I know you talked about this a little bit earlier, but having coaches meet the players where they're at and then give them some practical steps of improvement so that way they can kind of see the growth and feel the growth because if they're not seeing themselves get better, then like you mentioned, doing something new, it could be hard for them to, to – it could get frustrated because maybe they're not being celebrated for, for trying their left hand or, or doing something out of their comfort zone. So how important, again, is it for coaches to meet the players where they're at so that way they can be more coachable too? I, the biggest, it froze up there, but the biggest thing for me is positive reinforcement. You know, especially with young kids, if you can, as you get older, it's funny when you get to the, the higher levels or of college or even the pros, you have a lot of yellers and screamers. The, the players tune you out after a while. But if you give them that positive reinforcement, you know, my girls, you get a left-handed layup, and you're like, oh, that's awesome. Nice job. You know, give them that, that reinforcement really helps them. So you're meeting them. They want it the Positive reinforcement is easier and better than than uh, negative reinforcement. So uh, that's when I look at it. Bring the positive to it. Let the kids know they're doing something. Now they feel good about themselves and they want to keep trying it and trying it and trying it. Well, that's one thing you you talk about, Mike, too. 
get more with honey than you do with vinegar. Yeah. And that's so true. And that's something you mentioned too. Like I look at like one of your makeups is competitiveness. And when I hear coaches, a lot of times like kids aren't tough. Like they used to be kids don't compete. They don't do this, but I do think as coach what Jason mentioned, and you talk about Mike is the honey is what are we doing to encourage the athletes, right? What are we doing to sit there? They make mistakes to not sit there and demean them, demand of them, but do it in a positive way where they want to continue to do something. But can you speak to maybe that aspect of it, like for coaches and maybe even parents, what can we do to develop individuals to be maybe more competitive that can help them in this makeup to be a more attractive athlete? Uh, the competitiveness is going back to I had that conversation about my daughters and said, you know, I don't care if you have a bad day. You know, you may have sucked at this game doing whatever you had a bad day. So, but as long as you competed, whether depending on who you're playing, it's like if you're you're at Alabama and you're playing Furman, UT Chattanooga, are you playing at the same level there as you are at the same level playing at Auburn? You know, you made your competitor. So the whole thing for me was always trying to get my kids to compete at the same level day in and day out, trying not to take a day off. And then going back to the great ones. You know, they practiced hard. They they did the extra study, you know, that sort of stuff. So it's all the competitiveness. You're competing with yourself every day, and then you're competing against your the uh, individuals you're playing against or practicing against. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Mike, we always uh, – Hey, Jace. Jace, real yeah. quick, I know you're going to four kids, but I wanted to go okay. into something with Mike on that. Mike, when you talk about that, though, the competitiveness – I, I agree with you on the sense that I think as as coaches, we have to get out of the scoreboard. We focus too much on the scoreboard. Yeah. And you said it could be like Alabama playing Furman. You don't see Nick Saban sitting there because they won, you know, 42 to 14. He might not be happy because they weren't the best version of themselves. Right. And right. they weren't, they weren't sitting there focusing on each and every play, the little things that mattered. And that's what I'll tell athletes when I'm coaching them, like, who are we competing against? Not against them, against yeah. ourselves. Every possession matters. We're going to be the best version of ourselves in everything we do. Win or lose, scoreboard. We, you know how it is. You can lose a game, play against a team that's really good. You played really, really well, and everybody's disappointed. So is that something, too, like yeah. just reinforcing, compete against yourself, be the best version of you in everything you do? Yeah, that's where you get, you know, you get into tape watching, film watching. Um, you're always looking at your technique. This is what foot, you know, what foot are you supposed to step with? Where are you supposed to aim? What's your aiming point? You know, how how deep are you running your routes? Uh, when are you supposed to break this off? If you see a certain coverage, what are you supposed to adjust your route to? The quarterback's got to know where it's going. Is your footwork as a quarterback right? You talked about Peyton Manning wrapping the ball, two-hand fake, one-hand fake, whatever it may be. It's working on those little things. So once you get into the bigger games and the harder competition – it's easier to do. It just becomes clockwork, second nature. So that's where it's always you're talking to the kids. It's always about, hey, what did you do well? Well, yeah, but I beat them. So no, but you didn't do this correctly. Now, what are you going to do when you get up against better competition? So you're competing against yourself to do the things little by little every day. Love it. Yeah. Well, you know, Mike, we always finish every episode with uh, four cues with 40 athletes. So these are quick questions. Uh, that we end the show with just to get the last little bit of insight from our guests. Uh, so the first one is, in your opinion, 
What does it mean to win in the game of life? Win in a game of life. Uh, for me, it is what others think of me as an individual. Um, I may be great at something athletically or I make a lot of money or something like that, but what does everybody else think of me? That's what I want somebody to think of me in the game of life. Did I, did I do it right to where people look to me and go, he did it right. He was this type of a person. He was a good person. So almost going back to character, right? If what you talked about from Correct. the beginning, like that high character, doing the right things on a daily basis and making those decisions that are not only best for yourself, but the others as well. Yeah. And the second one is, if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports, passed away, still alive, fictional, non-fictional, who would you pick and why would you choose them? Going back to besides Jesus Christ, it would be Vince Lombardi. Um, you hear so much about him and he was going back to, you know, they would run the Green Bay sweep. Everybody knew it was coming. He's like, I'm going to run it till they stop it. Marty Schottenheim was the same way in the goal line, the power. I'm going to run it to the stop it. But Vince Lombardi had a way of getting guys to play no matter what. They might have been the best talented, but they did everything right. And somehow, some way, he got them to get, you know, to do it right and do the right things. Hey, by the way, going back to Marty Ball, but the one, I love that. You hear the story about uh, John Madden. You probably heard when he went to the uh, – Coaching clinic at Vince Lombardi, and he worked on like Packer Sweep to the the riot or whatever the whole day, and it was like hours, like breaking it down. Yeah, he's like, "We'll see you tomorrow yeah. at this time." Whatever he goes, he's like, "Hey, coach, what are we gonna what are we gonna uh, learn about tomorrow?" He goes, "Packer Sweep to the left." <laughs> hey, by the way, and also Jason, oh, he actually, he acted out Vince Lombardi in a, in a film, so we have to I have to send that to my oh, yeah. family. Yeah, yeah. You acting out Vince Lombardi, Jason. So there you, you go. That? Oh, I did. you're right. Yeah. Hey, uh, my question number three is what's the best advice you've ever received from a coach you played for or worked for or been around? Best advice. <laughs> well, just coming you know, going back to my father, it was uh, he was a coach and he watched my games and stuff, but it was just giving your all. You know, don't don't quit. And I try that's why I try and still in my kids and try and still when I was coaching is you know, give your all, give your best effort. It's not always going to be pretty, but things good things will happen if you if you you work hard. So I like that. That uh last question is what's the best advice? Well, not best advice. What is if you had one character trait or life skill that you're maybe recruiting to bring in somebody? be part of your organization and they can only have one character trait life skill, what would it be and why? Might have to rephrase that for me. So if you were identifying what? like you're bringing in someone to your organization and they could have one character trait or life skill, they could have one that you'd want, what would it be and why would you want it? Uh, if it's related to sports, it's going to be passion for the game. Life, life skill, passion, and something for the word, um, drawing a blank on it, but 
looking out for others, you know, just for, for life skill, looking out for others. Maybe compassion, passion and compassion. Compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm drawing blank on words. Jason has that teacher mentality comes out. He really does that for me as well. He, he brings yeah. sentences together for me in paragraphs. Well, you know, I yeah. do the same thing with, you know, all, all my students too. They just can't find the word. My wife does the same thing with me too. If I can't find the word, she helps draw it out of me as well. So sometimes you just need a little bit of assistance, right? So it's all good. Usually I get this, you know, that's the word. <laughs> well, Mike, you know, uh, thanks for, for joining us today and, uh, and sharing with us a lot of, a lot of great insights, quite frankly. Um, I know you're working with Hollis and Miller right now and where can people learn more about what you're doing with them? How can they connect with you? Um, and just, you know, get in touch with Mike Murphy. Well, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn most of the time. I don't do Twitter as much as I probably should, but uh, I'm working business development for, for Hollis and Miller. And a lot of that goes back to using the skills I had as a, as a recruiter, as a coach, you're building relationships. I'm with kids, with people. And so when you're building those relationships and business development, that, that helps out. It's just a matter of talking to people, get them to open up and feel good about who you are and what, what I'm what I'm about and what our company is doing. Hey, 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 Mike, real quick though. The draft is the 28th. The Chiefs. They traded Tyreek, yeah. got all these draft picks. Man, who are they picking in the first round? Who are they picking mm. with the two? I don't know. It's uh, you also need a pass rusher. They picked up. They've got a couple of receivers they signed, and Juju Smith and uh, what's his name out of Green Bay. Uh, so you got some speed oh, yeah. there. You got a good route runner, Juju Smith. Scanlon, is that right? Yeah, it's Valdez Scanlon or something like that. Yeah. So you think yeah, they, you uh, think they go uh, edge rusher and then another receiver? I, I would guess edge rusher, corner, safety. Yeah, I, I would go defense. That would be my guess. It's crazy you think about in the NFL, you've been around the salary cap has changed so much. I remember growing up when I, you know, I'm I'm 50. So when I was growing up, it was like, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the 49ers and the dynasties they had. And those, those players, like they played, they stayed with the organization for so many years now with the cap and, you know, players leaving and you got to decide, do you pay, you want to keep maybe this player but are you going to pay him this amount of money? And then you can't afford to put your roster together of having linemen and protecting your quarterback and other positions and things like that. And sometimes you, to me, you got to make a decision of letting somebody go to pick up maybe draft picks to replenish your roster. Right. Well, yeah, it's uh, they saved $70 million, you know, with Tyreek, he got 72.2. What I read to go to Miami, but those are tough decisions to try and keep your core together, but you, you know, if you're going to sell the farm for that position and that, that can hurt you. So you got to make tough decisions on actually the core of what's your best, your best group is to win. And okay. Tyreek is a good player. Don't get me wrong, but in the best interest of this team, can we go out and get somebody that's comparable or a lesser version, but still be successful in that position he's playing. So you got to look at it. Your quarterback is the biggest one. As long as you can, if you can win early before his second contract hits, you got a good chance of winning it all. But if once that second contract hits, now you're trying to scramble around, trying to who, who do we keep? Because you're 
taking 30 40 million dollars out of that cap all of a sudden yeah well mike again thanks for joining us today and uh enjoy the rest of your wednesday we'll we'll uh talk to you soon for sure guys thanks for having me on appreciate it thanks mike appreciate it as well well, Jim, you know, teaching our youth courage is another step we can take in proactively preventing suicide in our society and lowering anxiety. Um, that's why we gave, you know, courage in our uh, demo link in the in the description here as available for all of our listeners and all the people that just to go in and teach your kid courage. But if you want to learn more about 40 athletes, Jimmy, where can we uh, send them so they can get more information? Yeah, they can go to 40athletes.com and see the you know, kind of resource we have there. And then like I said, if they're, you know, have a team or an organization, you know, the coach administrator, they can reach out to us and we can do a discovery call to kind of help them understand how we can, you know, with 40 athletes partner with them to be able, we talked about to use sports to really teach athletes these skill sets to help them not only win in the sport, but in truly the game of life. And mm -hmm. you think about it with the studies going on today, and they keep coming with anxiety, depression, suicide rates, this mental health kind of crisis taking place. We need to establish more of these skill sets in these athletes, these young kids today, and develop more, especially the mental mental fitness side of it. Yeah, especially sooner for sure. Well, um, you know, what was really cool to see today was Mike, you know, who has been working with some of the top and talking about coaching his daughters. And like just the adjustments he made of like meeting people where they're at. And I think that's an important message I got from today was meet them where they're at and guide them along the process, wherever they're at. You know, I think that's, uh, was a key for me to, to take away. So well, hopefully you're going to meet your kids where they're at this weekend. Cause they're going to be happy with the Easter and the bunny coming and stuff like that. Right. That's true. So don't, yeah, don't eat too much candy. Right. Try right. to stay away from it. You know, right. I try to be a good example and not eat it and then have them make the choice of what they want to do or not. But, uh, yeah. You be, are you going to dress up as a bunny this weekend? Are you going to dress up as a bunny? You'd be a one. handsome little bunny, though, running <laughs> around there. Huh? Chasing the bunny. I could see that. That would be now, that would be something. That's for sure, yeah. So. Well, thanks for all you do. Enjoy your day and the rest of the week, buddy. That's sure. Yep. You too, Jim. Take care.